Yes, we're back. It is episode 64 of the Hibs Ramble. It's just the gruesome twosome with you this week. It's Liam and I'm joined by Mr. Sean Corrigan. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Buzzing for this week. Can't wait. Massive, massive week ahead for the cabbage. I will tell you that. But uh, more importantly, Sean, how was your weekend? Uh, weekend was all right, mate. Aye, it was good. It was good. Good, I'm glad. I'm so glad to hear that. Yours? It was all right. I didn't manage to make it to the game, unfortunately. Um, I had a, a Halloween party for for the kids at Megan's Grands. So we dressed the kids up as Woody and Buzz from Toy Story and uh, and took them there. So that was good fun. And thankfully, I didn't miss a five, six goal thriller at Easter Road. Nil, nil. Uh, when I'm not there, will do me just fine. But... Um, Let's jump right into it. So the lineup, um, Monty stuck with a four-four-two. Sean, despite the criticism that he faced after the trouncing that we got at Ibrox, um, Adam Lafondra and Paul Hanlon dropped out, and uh, Jaden Rocky came in. Were you surprised to see that he stuck with four four two, or when the team first came out, did you actually realise that he was playing four four two? Because I wasn't so I wasn't so sure. I assumed that he was playing four four two because he's a man of his principles. I'm not expecting him to change. I didn't expect him to change away I Brox, um, and I didn't expect him to change at home to sell. I'd be disappointed if he then changed at home against one of the old firm instead of doing it away. Um, I was a bit taken back by the team, though. Um, I say the team, I mean Tavares being in the starting 11. <laughs> but I guess if he's in the starting 11, you then don't feel inclined to bring him on. And then whoever you do bring on is an improvement, in my opinion. So, yeah, I was very, very surprised from that aspect of it. Um, I did put a message in the chat asking if I should turn around and just go home. Um, <laughs> but... Weirdly enough, considering the result, thankfully I didn't because it was a relatively enjoyable game. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Sean. I really am glad to hear that. But just touching back on the four four two, does and we spoke about it um, after Ibrox. Do you think it shows a lack of having an alternative, or do you think that he is just sticking to his guns and showing complete our belief in the players? And the system, I, really. I think Saturday was a a great indication of what his other not systems because I don't want to get I don't want to sit here and dwell on shape information and four four two this and four four two that. That is Nick Montgomery's base principle. That is his base formation, and that's what he will stick with, and that's what his tried and tested um, formation will be. But being at the game at the weekend, it was really, really evident that, as it should be, it wasn't necessarily a 4-4-2 in and out of possession. He obviously changed up the personnel to get more out of individuals and to try and implement our style and our game plan on Celtic a little bit more. Um, Hence why Martin Boyle was on the last man and was playing up top. But that meant that Dylan Venti had to drop a little bit deeper than he normally does because normally he's the one on the last defender and 
like a Dodge or a Lafondre is the one doing the the doggies, um, as well as obviously the hard work that he puts in. But like I said at the weekend there, it was really evident that it doesn't necessarily matter that we're starting with a four four two. There's different passages they play throughout that game at the weekend where we were in a different shape, albeit defensively and attacking. Um, for example, Jago and Newell were sitting quite deep at times. Um, Venny was sitting on Callum McGregor at times to try and stop him having an impact on the game. We were sitting really narrow at times as well. Um, we boiled just up top as an outlet to try and force Celtic to go wide and basically ask them to cross the ball in the box. So, all in all, I think on the face of it, if you didn't either watch the game or you just saw the highlights back, you might not have been able, I'm not obviously directing this to you, I just mean in, in <laughs> general, you might not pick up on what happened in-game throughout the match, but it was it was really good to see the different passages they play that we were either attempting both defensively and attacking and in an attacking sense at the weekend. And it showed to those football purists that, um, you know, 4-4-2 maybe isn't the be-all and end-all and that we can change in-game and be a little bit more fluid in what we're asking certain individuals to do, like like a Martin Boyle, like a Dylan Venti, like a Tavares. He found himself inside in the middle of the pitch quite a lot. So the Delhi Yuan, he wasn't as wide as he normally is. Newell and Jago were a lot further back at times as well. Um, and our fullbacks weren't initially bombing up as much, but when they were given the opportunity, they were able to overlap and bomb forward ahead of Newell and Jago. So all in all, very fluid performance, um, very flexible within the system and, and long may it continue, um, especially from a defensive perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was definitely a dig at me because I've only watched the highlights. But no, I, I completely understand where you're coming from because we put out a tweet on Saturday evening just saying that there were some very good individual performances within a great team performance. A lot of play, a lot of people, sorry, are saying um, Lewis Miller, Rocky Miller. Miller is the is the one who is, you know, the outstanding candidate, it looks like, for the Ramblers' man of the match. I think he got the actual man of the match as well, didn't he? He did, he did. So, he did. Um, a lot you, of people you did call out to him as well. When we interviewed him a couple of weeks back, he did say that he just seems to be made for games against Celtic. And lo and behold, exactly. he puts in another man of the match performance against Celtic. So if you've definitely not listened to that already, you should go back. It was certainly a cracker. Yeah, great lad. Yeah. So I think that's that's not something that you really see when you're watching back the highlights, obviously the, the main thing that I saw picking up from the first half was the persistency of, is that a word? Persistency? Persistency? Persistentness? We were very what persistent. We what would we go with? I, we, were, I we were very persistent with playing the ball out from the back. Uh, it did get us in trouble a couple of times that I saw on the highlights. Rocky... Um, passing the ball straight to, I'm, I'm not too sure what Celtic player it was, one of their new ones, I think Bernardo maybe. Um, and there was a instance where the ball was played towards Jago, he slipped on the surface and it ended up at a Celtic player's feet again. You know, Marshall making a good save. The first one just goes wide, but I mean, nine times out of ten, that's probably nestling in the back of the net. Do you think that the players grew into the 
grew into the game doing that or was that something that they cut out you know quite sharp after they made a couple of mistakes doing it no i think um again the weekend shows the weekend's performance showed that we can mix it up while still sticking to monty's principles and what he's actually looking for us to do the reason why or one of the main reasons why we would try and play out constantly from the back is to try and bring out the opponent and then we can then either go long or pass it round them using like triangles and, and things like that and different angles to try and then implement our style and get the ball in behind them and utilize the space that we have with the attackers mm-hmm. that we have just touching on those two two points that you mentioned i think listen the boy next to me was absolutely fizzing throughout the whole match to the point where i felt like i was i was under a shower like he was <laughs> he was going off on one especially the second the second time it happened i felt like i didn't need to to have another wash for about a week i was that soaking after that but with you can't you can't account for jago slipping right that's just that's just unfortunate that that happened in my opinion i don't think anyone's to blame with that I'm going the to go with, stuff, well, aye, but I'm not going to call them out. Um, <laughs> I actually feel inclined to feel bad for Rocky for the first one as well, or the one that Celtic end up getting a chance from, because that's what we are trying to do. It's what we're trying to implement. I spoke about it the other week, that this is the style of play that we're trying to, trying to play to try and bring Celtic out, like bring them into a false sense of security, and then break on them. So, in my opinion, it's not Rocky's fault that in in training, right? They'll have worked on little passages of play of Fish or Marshall having it, playing it to each other, and then expecting someone to be in the middle of the park. Yeah. Yes, Rocky should look up and see if that passes on. But if that's what they've worked on all week, then it the blame should then also lie with the man that should be there, whether it be Jago, whether it be Newell, whether it be Yuan or Boyle or whoever was meant to drop into that hole. In training, throughout that whole week and since Monty's came in, it has worked at times in games where we've been able to do those quick short passes at the back and then quickly find that man in the middle of the park. We then pop it back out wide to the wider player and then we find ourselves on the break or pushing forward. It's just unfortunate that in that instance, the person that was meant to be in that space or that area of the pitch wasn't there at that time. Maybe because they were expected to go to fish instead of Rocky, so then they were on the other side of the pitch. I don't know. As for the Jago one, like I said, it's just unfortunate that he slipped. It won't be the last time that that mistake will happen, um, but it will become few and further, few and far between because we'll get better and better and better at it. Um, and we'll be able to do it quicker and our, our passing will be sharper and our touch will be better. Um, but then there was a few instances where we switched it up and it went to Rocky or it went to Fish. And because Celtic were then expected to go into the middle of the park, they then pushed higher up mm-hmm. and then we just dinked it over and Miller yeah. and Abita were a little bit further forward and then we'd cut out two, three or four Celtic players. So it does work. It's just unf- it's risk and reward football, real- realistically. So... This is it, and but we we knew that that was the case when Monty came in. We knew that that was the way that he liked to play. So I think it's, I don't know what refreshing is the right word. I think it's promising, knowing that the players are definitely buying into what he wants to do, 
Um, you know, it could have we could have shot ourselves in the foot a couple of times on Saturday. You know, if Celtic had been a little bit more clinical, they'll probably feel on their end that that you know they they really should have won that game. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't score, neither did we. So a point of pieces is the fair result. But I mean, it would then go back to the argument when it's like, oh, if you do, if you make mistakes like that against better teams, and you're going to get punished. But you know, Celtic are the best team in the division, so and they didn't punish us for us making those kind of mistakes. So I think that would probably give the players a certain level of confidence. Maybe give the fans a certain level of confidence as well, because. I did hear that the fans weren't awfully happy at halftime. There was a couple of boos ringing around Easter Road, which I feel is a is maybe a bit is maybe a bit much, you know, given that you're Nahanich against Celtic, who've been great so far this season, and they just pushed Atletico Madrid all the way to the end, um, in in the week previous. So, you know, it's maybe. Maybe a little bit of an overreaction, but it's not anything that we're not used to. No, it, def- it definitely is. It definitely is an overreaction. And I think that comes from it was just it was boiling over at the fact that there was those two slips or two slips in concentration. Um, which listen, I get, but for those that can see what we're trying to do and understand what Monty's trying to implement, it's not gonna happen overnight. I would rather have mm-hmm. that philosophy and identity and way playing rather than not having it. Do you know what I mean? And for me, if if we can have this style and we're able to implement it correctly, then I think over time it's it's only gonna only gonna work out well for us. So for me that listen, where I was sitting, other than the guy that was absolutely fizzing next to me, I didn't necessarily hear too much booze, but you could hear that there was moans and groans because of the level of performance, but like you said, we were playing against the best team in the country by a country mile as well, by the way, regardless of the fact they played that Atletico during the week. Yes, they didn't, you know, take up the opportunities that we gave them, but realistically, they also didn't create much. Right, Sean, we'll move into the second half now. We we were kind of under the cosh a little bit for a, a lot of the second half, but we did have one really, really good chance at the start of the second half. It's a magic ball from Jordan Abita and the way that because I didn't see it at the time and stuff like that but um, the the way that I read about it on group chats and stuff was that it was a howler an absolute sitter but when I saw it on the highlights this morning I didn't really think it was as bad as people were making out it comes at a really really quick pace it's difficult to keep those kind of ones down and you know boil is no slowpoke, so he would have been moving at pace as well. I think it's just unlucky. Um, you know, if it comes at half a mile an hour slower, then he's maybe able to get a little bit more control on it and and guide it into the goal. But what, what did you think at the time looking at it? I definitely don't see it how it was clearly portrayed in your other group chats. That's for sure. Um, I liked that it was a relatively. From memory, anyway, I think it was a relatively early ball put in. Yeah, like really as soon deep. as, yeah, as soon as he got the opportunity, put it in. He whipped it in, which I feel like we maybe didn't. Well, we definitely didn't do enough of because we never really created anything through the whole match, other than really that chance. So I liked that he whipped it in at the earliest opportunity, and because of where Boyle was playing, he was more central and he was on the last man. 
it's, it is unfortunate. I think it's a mixture of the fact that um, Boyle's kind of reaching for it. Um, he's made that good run, but because of the, the pace of the ball, it's just difficult to connect. Um, it's one of those where it, it could have went anywhere. Sometimes it's the back of the net, sometimes it doesn't. I wasn't. Yeah. It was a great chance, didn't get me wrong, especially to obviously take the lead at that point. Um, but listen, I'm not blaming either of them for the ball being, you know, whipped in too fast because I, I like those types of balls, especially when they're put in nice and early. And I, I'm not going to sit here and moan that it, it Boyle not finishing it because he's a good enough player and it's just unfortunate that he wasn't able to make the right connection at that point. Exactly. I spoke about it a, a couple of weeks ago. Mind that Brian Graham goal that I was talking about against nah. Morton. That's when I watched it back, I was, that's what it reminded me of. Obviously it wasn't as, uh, the Brian Graham goal was a header, so the cross was a wee bit higher, but I was thinking, oh, I, I just love deep crosses. I don't Same. know what it is about deep crosses. It, it just really, really appeals to me. I, think I find them very, very attractive. But I mean, Celtic had another couple of chances in the, you know, in the second half of the game, but, I don't really want to talk about it too much because I don't really care about Celtic. No. Well, I do want to talk though, about just 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 quickly before we move move on on kind of how that performance will implement or will implement a similar type of performance in the next two games. I think we've already t- already touched on how good that level of performance was, both from an individual perspective and a team perspective, which is night and day from the week before, and how much belief that will give the squad and certainly some of the fan base. I think. If we can take that kind of support and Tuesday and obviously Saturday as well as that kind of level of performance, I think long term we'll we'll do just fine under Monty playing that way. Especially considering we went toe to toe with, I know they played during the week, but we went toe to toe with by far the best team in the league, um, or the, and the country, sorry, and we limited them to very very little. They hit the bar through a what was it? I think that ended up coming from a corner and then obviously the couple of chances they had in the first half came for our our own mistakes. So all in all, I know we didn't create much and that's maybe more of a problem, but again, we're playing Celtic. Yeah, I exactly. think if we I mean, play like that our, against a better side, we'll be fine. So You say, yeah. I mean, it's a cliche, but your seasons are only defined against Celtic and Rangers. And I know, I know you play them, if you're finishing the top six anyway, four times each, but I mean... We've never been a team that will need to go out and consistently beat the old firm. It's just not where we, well, it's not what we need to do to finish where we want to finish. We are need to focus more on beating the teams that are around us and below us because that's been our, that's been our problem for the last few years anyway. But um, no, like you said, I think we could probably take a lot of, we could probably take a lot of, um, positivity from that performance from what I've seen on social media and stuff is that people were pretty pleased um, with a point two points out of nine out of those three games Sean if someone had said to you before the Hearts game at Tynecastle two points out of nine would you would you have taken it or would you have expected to get a little bit more I expected us to win at Tyne but that's I was definitely, definitely confident then. I think, all in all, in hindsight, two points against arguably the three best or the three toughest opponents in the league. Um, Yeah, I think, all in all, you can't 
I would have expected to have lost one of them at least, that's for sure. You would you'd obviously want to win the derby, but with it being at Tyne Castle and it's obviously tough, so getting anything for that match. So yeah, realistically, two points out of those nine, considering where the games were as well, is mm-hmm. is not too bad. It's the other games now, like you say, that we need to start picking up points because the league is very, very tight at the moment. So absolutely, there's like like four points between. What is it, fourth and eleventh or eleventh? So and it's good that we've now got those, what you would class as tougher runs, fixtures out the way, and we've now got what you would class as winnable games. I know that's never the Hibs way, but we've now got games that you would. I know, but they are. I mean, with all due respect to these teams, these are winnable games. You know. If you're an outsider looking in, you look at a Hibs versus a Ross County or a Hibs versus Motherwell or St Mirren. I know they're doing really well at the moment, but you would say Hibs should probably win that. Like looking down and like if Arsenal are playing like Thomas, what do you think? What do you want to say? If Arsenal were playing like Wolves or Burnley, something like that, you'd go a winnable game. So. Uh, well, I mean, with all due respect, we, we really should be winning those games. Obviously, it doesn't work like that. It never works like that. But we've got more of a chance of beating these teams than we do getting a result against playing the old firm back-to-back. So, you know, it's it's an, it's a good chance for us to try and implement a little bit more of our game plan and our strategy and stuff. So, listen. Especially from an attacking sense as well. Yeah, I for think... sure. And we're, we're not going to be as high-pressed as we were against Celtic and Rangers and Hearts with us playing out from the back. So we might have a little bit more leeway of, you know, being able to get the ball down and play that way and get lots of No, I completely I completely agree. And I think the fact that listen, like you said, they're not going to be pressing us high. So we might then find it more difficult to find those spaces in behind and they might be sent a little bit deeper. So it might be frustrating to watch. I know we're not we're not going to spend too much time on the Ross County game because it's not going to have enough time to breathe before the game actually <laughs> kicks off tomorrow night. But um, I think we will. I think we'll do well. I do think we'll, that we'll win tomorrow night. Um, I think it'll be two or three nil or two or three one. Um, for me, it's just more about now trying to implement now that we've got what you would class as a solid defensive performance, which we got against Celtic, which we definitely didn't get against Rangers, can we now try and implement our attacking phases of play rather than working on our defensive phases of play and playing out for the back as well? What? I tell you what, Sean. What analysis. You're brilliant at this. Honestly. It's like you've been doing this for ages. Absolutely. I just just appreciate a good manager who appreciates good football, you know? Absolutely. So, I mean, just... Quickly, quickly touch on Ross County. 11th in the table. Like we said, there's really nothing in it um, for the majority of the table. I mean, and that's what that's the first round of fixtures after this game, isn't it? Yep. I think so. Yes. I mean, and it's really kind of unheard of to the first quarter of the season and it's still so tight. So, you know, it's it's probably going to be a more difficult game than it than we think. Yes, they're 11th, but they're not 11th by an awful lot. I think they're only a couple of points behind us. So we can't really, I don't think we can really afford to treat it lightly. No, I think um, the thing is as well, like you said, we're, we're coming to the end of the first round of fixtures. 
and I've already touched on the fact that we need to start putting wins against these winnable teams, we need to remember that St Mirren, Dundee, Motherwell, Aberdeen, Ross County are all a game behind us because of call-offs. Yeah. So it's all fine and well us sitting saying, right, between 11th and 4th, there's four points, but almost all those teams, or half those teams are, are played a game less. So if hypothetically, if they win, or a couple of them win them and they're not draws, then a gap's going to start to open up. So especially with the game that we've got coming up at the weekend, tomorrow night, mm-hmm. Tuesday night, is, it's for me, it's a, it's a must-win. Um, and it'll give us all the confidence that we need going into the weekend as well, yeah, up against so, a yeah. very, what I think, a very poor Aberdeen side at the moment, albeit they won at Ibrox. They are struggling. They really are struggling. And you could tell, I mean, they were really poor against Kilmarnock. Uh, Mangan, they were rotten. Yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, they were rotten against Kelly. Yeah. But no, tomorrow night, do you think Jay will start? Is this the start of his redemption arc? Um, I'd, do you know what? I think he might be involved again. It wouldn't surprise me. I think the fact that we've got such an important fixture, and listen, I'm not underestimating Ross County. We definitely can't because we never seem to get many results against them at home. Um, and they are a tough side, tough to break down. But Jaya didn't really do too much wrong at the weekend, but he also didn't do too much right. But not a lot of our attackers done too much right going forward. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him see him in again. I am very, very curious to see how Monty lines up because, like I said, he'll stick to his principles, 4-4-2. However, I will be intrigued to see what that stunt 11 looks like. Will Stevenson come in for a beat? Will Whitaker maybe come in for Miller? I don't know. Hanlon maybe come in for Fish or Rocky. Um, I know at the moment it's Rocky and Hanlon that are getting alternated between, but to give Fish a rest, I don't know. I would be very surprised if the likes of... I'd be very surprised if it ends up as a midfield for Boyle, Jago, Newell and Eli Yuan. But on the same side, I wouldn't... I'm going to contradict myself here. I also wouldn't be surprised because Nick knows what his best 11 is, clearly. Mm-hmm. So why would he not want to play that best 11, get the game won, and then maybe try and and take players off? I know it's not that easy, but when you've got players like Paul Hanlon on the bench, solid player, can come in, do a job against the Ross County, why not? Louis Stevenson, again, same again. Um, Dylan Levitt, will we need his creativity a little bit? Will he come in for Jago or will he come in for Newell? Vice versa, Josh Campbell, could he come in for Newell? Could Joe Newell play in a midfield two against Ross County? Probably not, but who knows? And then you've got Adam LaFondre as well, um, where we could have Dylan Venti maybe on the bench or whatever. The whole squad could be up for a wee shake, and I wouldn't be opposed to it considering... I don't want to say the quality that we have in the squad because I do feel like our squad lacks some real quality and like strength and depth, but we have good players and step in against the Ross County. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I don't think we'll talk a lot more about Ross County because if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, the game will be tonight. Uh, We're recording this on Monday evening, so for us the game is tomorrow. But um, I'll I'll get a prediction off you, Sean, because we don't usually get to talk about games the, the night before we play them. So... 
What is your prediction for tomorrow? I know he says three nothing or three one earlier on, but are you sticking by that? Or are you gonna? Uh, I'll, I'll stick to I'll stick to a a two one or a three one or a two nil three nil kind of thing. I, right, I so you like need to choose one because I'll go three nil three nil to the cabbage. I'll take it. I think I will go with two nil to Hibs. And it's it's never going to be 2-0 because my predictions are never right. Um, so, yeah, it's probably going to be 3-0 or 3-1. So, one of the ones that you said, I think, Sean, is what it'll be. But yes, what we've all been waiting for for many years. Back to Hamden again uh, on does Saturday. It does feel like a while. It does feel it like does a while. Like a while but it really, it's only been one season that we haven't been there. Yeah. The last time there was against Celtic, wasn't it? So um Yeah, I yeah, Celtic. So we just need to aye. We, it's not only it's only been one season. It's not like us though. Last year. It is, it's not like us. We're normally regulars, nah. albeit well, we don't see things through. They do call it Easter Road West. There. And they don't call it Easter Road West for no reason. Back at Hamden again. Um I mean we need to get a season ticket at this rate, I think. Against Aberdeen. Last time we played them there was in the Scottish Cup in 2012. 12, 2012, 2012 yeah. and we won 2-1. I remember, was it Scott Vernon scored an absolute zinger from about 40 yards out? Gary O'Connor scored. In Australia at the time. Scored. I was there. Uh, funny, was there uh, it's not really a wasn't. funny story because it didn't really work out very funny in the end. But when <laughs> I left to go to Australia... At the end of January, it was just after we had beat Kelly. It was Kelly we played one of the rounds before. In the quarters, yeah. Yeah, I came back. Oh no, back that was the that was the season after. Oh no, that was the following season. Sorry, sorry, right. sorry. So I was in. It was regardless. It was in January, and I was obviously going to Australia, travelling at the end of January, and I said I'll only come home because my plan was to go there for the full year. I'll only come home if we get to the Scottish Cup final, and the Scottish Cup final is against Hearts. So at this point the whole Scottish Cup has got, got to be played. Like, we've got to go through pretty much most of the rounds. And then it got to the semi-finals, and obviously they were against Celtic, so I was like, right, cool, if we're going to play Celtic, I'm not fucking going home for that. They're going to get beat anyway. They obviously go on to win. Um, but I we had the, the semi-final against Aberdeen, so I was watching it in Perth, and it was, like, after the two semi-finals, it was like, I was begrudging myself having to pay for a flight home. I was like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to come home now because I, like I said that, and then obviously what happened, what happened. But listen, did you actually come home? I did come home. I did come home. Um, That's a sickener. But I mean, I imagine, imagine with one and you hadn't been there. Well, I flew. I flew back to Australia pretty much straight after it. Um, How much did that cost and, you? And I was <laughs> too much because it was short notice as well. Um, and I was sitting next to a jambo for part of the flight, which was oh. which was great. Um, but I, I won't go into the details as to why, but it, it turned out to be a, a blessing in disguise coming home. So um, it worked out quite well for me on a personal note before I went back to Australia. So, oh well, just knowing a football note, unfortunately. Correct. But uh, you know, enough so, of that nonsense. Enough of that nonsense. Back to the League Cup. Enough about the fucking Scottish Cup. That's Diddy Cup compared to the League Cup. Uh, what we've got on Saturday. So. We were speaking off air about the amount of times that we have been in a League Cup semi-final since the turn of the century. And you said it was eight times? Correct. Eight times. Celtic twice, Rangers twice, St. Johnson three times, 
and Air United once. So one it's four, the first time. Lost four. It's the first time since the turn of the century that we played Aberdeen in a League Cup semi final. Um, they are in a little bit of a free fall at the moment. Um, like we said, didn't play well against Kilmarnock yesterday. Yes, they beat Rangers at Ibrox, but I feel like Aberdeen when they play Rangers, it's a little bit of a different. It's like a different vibe, a different level than when what they would play when they would play us or Hearts or Kilmarnock, even for that matter. So I'm not too fussed about that. Do you think it's a game that we should be looking to progress in? Yes, and I have. And this hopefully doesn't come back to bite me in the arse, but I have absolutely no doubt that we'll get the job done on Saturday. Aberdeen 3-0 then? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've, I've watched... I've actually not watched their their game at uh, Ibrox when they won, but obviously that was with everything that was going on with Rangers at the time. Every other game that I've watched, or almost all the games I've watched at Aberdeen, they've looked very, very poor defensively and they've looked a bit all over the shop and a bit suspect in the middle of the park as well and I know sometimes they play with three eh? well towards the end of last season aye that's for sure Um, and I think they're there to be got at sometimes they play with a three sometimes they play with a four they change shape throughout matches depending on their opponent Um, so we could potentially be exposed in the middle of the park but again I I have absolutely no doubt um, that the way that Monty will try and implement his game plan and his style at Hamden on on such a, a, a big pitch against an Aberdeen side. Listen, Joe Newell and, and Jimmy Jago, barring an injury tomorrow night, are going to be in for one hell of a shift. And whoever that second striker is is going to be in for one hell of a shift as well. However, I cannot wait to see Boyle and Yuan either side of the pitch with all that free space they run into and mm-hmm. exposing that that. Uh, Aberdeen backline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gives us a lot of confidence going into the game, the fact that we've already beaten them this season um, at Pataudry. And what, in the end, was a pretty comfortable and, and routine victory, um, you know, with all credit to Aberdeen. It's not easy to go up there and win, but we made it look fairly easy when, when we went up there uh, earlier in the season. And, at, you know, at that time, we weren't, we weren't any great shakes either. So, We've only got better since then, and I feel like Aberdeen have probably stagnated a little bit, maybe even got a little bit worse. I wish Mark was on the pod tonight because you know what his feelings are towards Barry Robson. I mean, he could get he could be... get his wish because Baldy on the other side of the the city is close to potentially getting his jotters in. You know, he did say that Barry Robson would be sacked. I'm pretty sure before Christmas. So his prediction. I think is he said looking... that Barry Robson would be the first to be sacked, though. Ah, well, he's wrong there. And that but, was Lee Johnson. Aye. I think oh. it, it, it could still work out in his favour um, with, with him getting sacked. And it'll certainly be a better prediction than he's done to United to finish in the top Absolutely. six. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to go from worst take of the year to best take of the year, probably. Yeah. Uh, although, will it count? Because he said it last season. So, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure if we can count that in the Ramble Awards come the end of the season. Well, it'll be up for tough opposition if we go on to win the League Cup, considering the end of season review, I said we'd win the League Cup. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I suppose so. But, um, yeah, tell us about some of your favourite League Cup Hamden memories. You've got one behind you that you were telling me about off air. Yeah, so I'm not going to go through them all, but 
the one the earlier ones in the turn of the century stick in stick in my mind more than the more recent ones. Um I remember not going to the air one, thankfully, but I remember us playing in the purple strip. I think if memory serves me correct, Sozzy was the manager at the time. We lost one nil. John Hughes was playing for air at the time and he wasn't shy in celebrating the win. Um <laughs> and I went to my bed in tears. Um but a couple of years later, yeah. That was probably that's probably my favourite one at the lot, if I'm honest. Um because for the life of me I can't remember the 2016 one against St Johnston and albeit that was it. That was a tiny, tiny castle. That was a tiny and I don't we got think a penalty early on, I think, did we not? Jason Cummins scored a penalty and then uh, they Jason equalized. scored first and then I and then John McGinn scored. And John McGinn um, scored and did a belly slide. I was sitting right in the front row in the wheat field for that game. And I remember, like, the ball, because where I was sitting, like, there wasn't a ball boy anywhere near me. The ball kept coming over to me. Can <laughs> like, I just kept flinging it away for the St. Johnson player? Eh? Mate, I was about, how old was I? I must have been about fucking 19 or something. Like, that's embarrassing, eh? 19-year-old Liam trying to bam up fucking whoever it was, Ricky Foster or something, who was playing. Nah, it's, it's good, like, it's good. Um, but I think my, my favourite one would probably be the... The Rangers one that we won on penalties back in 2004, obviously very in Hibs fashion, very unfortunate what happened in the final against Livy, but it was a school night, um, took a very good Rangers side to pens, beat them on pens, Daniel Anderson masterclass in goals, one of the DeBoer brothers missed the decisive penalty, one of my best mates got the day off school the following day and I got forced to go to school, so I landed a minute, so I wasn't the best pleased about that part, um, Sean, but that was Oregon a great night. Has- Great night. Uh, grass. Sean Lee Wallace Corrigan. Yep. Um but I for the life of me I can't remember the John McGinn one. Um in two thousand. You can't even blame him on the drink either, Sean. Nah, I can't. But do you know what's weird? I, I actually can't even remember the the two thousand and seven one against um St Johnston either. Again at Tincastle. I must have went to one of them, if not both of them. Um yeah, I, I can't remember either of them at all. Maybe because it was at Tyne Castle. I definitely must. I must have went to one of them, but I can't. Um, but obviously, the one that I was I'm most guided about from a selfish perspective was the the Rangers one the other year. Um, Were you not there? I wasn't there. No, no, I wasn't. Was couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make it. Um, managed to get back home in time to watch the game. My neighbours were not best pleased. Um, I was screaming the house down because obviously we were on a minging run at the time. Mm. So I think overall, obviously we've had eight since the turn of the year, four and four, um, four wins, four defeats. If my if my maths is correct or my calculations are correct, and it, probably for me the, the my favourite ones out the out the four victories would be the two Rangers ones. Well, this is that, mate. This is that, and hopefully your your next favourite one is the one that we're going to see on Saturday. But I'm. I would say I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it, but I can't make it. So, I mean, I've been pretty pish with actually getting to Hibs games this season, but, you know, being a, being a daddy to young bairns, it's it's not as easy to get to the games as it, it once was. But um, I'll be watching, cheering along from my living room with a pint of Guinness, no doubt. Um, my old man's going to come over and watch it as well. So looking forward to watching it on the telly. But, um, no, nah, I, I really wish I was going to be there. Uh, I don't know if I'm feeling a little bit detached from it because I'm not going to be there, but uh, and listen, I don't know. 
But um, no, I, I mean, I would ask you for a prediction now, but I don't think Craig would be overly happy if we gave out predictions now. So we'll maybe keep that until until Saturday morning or something. But are you looking forward to it anyway? Are you, where are you sitting? Are you sitting in the behind the goals or? I'm sitting kind of in the in the corner between the. I think it's one of the first or two, one or two sections when it the price and the tickets come down. So just in the corner at the mm-hmm. corner flag, maybe about halfway up or something. Uh, there's eight of us going. We've got two rows of four tickets, so we're all together. So when we do score that second, third, or fourth goal, the limbs are just as good. Um, but now, really, really looking forward to it. Um, I think because the whole Monty factor for me as well, and how much I'm, I'm really throwing my little weight behind him. Um, I'm, I am really looking forward to it, and I think he'll, like I said. I, could come back to bite me in the arse, but I'm I'm very confident. Well, you were very confident before we went into Tynecastle as well, and we didn't we lose. Didn't, we, uh, we didn't lose. Aye, that's true. But I mean, uh, so I'm I'm not really taking any any positives from your confidence, to be honest with you, mate. But uh, hopefully, someone that's that's listening does. So I know it's Hibs <laughs> at Hamden, but Hibs at Hamden's usually fairly good, though. I'm on so, the Monty. I mean, I'm on the Monty train, so long may it continue, and hopefully he doesn't let me down. Or if he does, I'll be having words. This is it. This is it. But what we will do now is we will move on to this week's listener questions. Now it's time to answer the Hibs Ramble listener questions. Right, Sean. First up, John McIntosh. As always, what is for dinner? I think I'm having a paella. Uh, maybe chicken. If if I'm if I'm right, it's prawn, chicken, and chorizo paella. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. I what I want is soup and tiger bread and Hunter's lure pack, but there is no soup or tiger bread in the house. So I'm um, needing to make an executive decision whether I have something else that's in the house or I go out to the shop and get myself what I want. You'll feel so better going out to the shop and getting what you want. Will I though? Because it's what? freezing cold, pitch black. It'll make it even better because if because if you substitute what you want with a mediocre second class dinner, mm. finding something that's in the cupboards or in the fridge, you're not going to be happy with it. Because you, you, you will be not shocked to hear that we are between shops, of course, at the moment, and no, but we genuinely are. That's the of thing. Like we've see, like the last week since we last recorded, we've had like genuinely we've had like food in all the time, but we're going to get the food shop tomorrow. So you know what it's like. But fucking hell, I mean, the, Mondays are always a really bad day for mad dinners because we never get the shop in at the weekend. It's always at the start. Saturday week on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something, so shoot me. Shoot me, Sean. Um, next up, my dad, Colin McLennan, with the passing of football legend, and he's put legend in inverted commas, Sir Bobby Charlton. I don't think legend should be in, in, in inverted commas. Bobby Charlton was a football legend. Yeah, he was. I think he's just because he's English. and He's just bitter. Man United. Yeah. Bitter, bitter man. Bitter, old, bald man. I think. Uh, what he's asking is, what current Hibs player has the ability to become a legend? 
excluding the fact that Paul Hanlon and Lewis Stevenson are still in the squad. Yeah, um, I think uh, that would be a cop out answer. I think. I think you could you. You would probably a modern day legend. You could probably already class Martin Boyle as one, and um, considering mm. he has the especially the journey he's been on as a as a player, and what he's done for the club and coming back and everything. Um, I mean, he got a legend's reception when he came back, didn't he? So yeah, this is a listen. I would be desperate for somebody like Joe Newell or somebody like that to go on and, and lift a trophy for Hibs and just cement kind of like a legendary status, um, especially the journey he's had since he joined. So somebody like that would be great. Um, ability wise, I just wise, want Harry McCurdy. I want Harry McCurdy to become a legend. I just want to see the the celebration once, just once, please, once, Harry. If you're listening, that's all I want to do. Just once, in a Hibs top. It could be Easter Road. It can be at Almond Vale. It can be at Hamden. It can be at Tynecastle. It can be anywhere you want. Just please score once before you leave. That's all I'm asking. Thank you. So I'm going to go Harry McCurdy, and you're going to go with. I'll go. I'll go, Joe Neal. You'll go with Joe Neal. Uh, next up, Gav Dick. Uh, I'm not going to slaughter your grammar or spelling because I am not that guy. Well earned point. Is Jade on the road to redemption? Also, are you looking forward to Saturday? I'm buzzing already. Can he wait? Um, I hope no, he's no. on the road to redemption. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be a shame if we hyped him up as much. Sorry, the club hyped him up as much as they did when we signed him. Only for him to kind of fall flat on his face last season. And in the fact that he's not went out on loan and Monty's kind of trusted him a little bit this season, I'd I'd really like to think that a redemption arc has come in. Um, I think it's, for, for me, I think it's more along the lines of we're giving him game time to actually give him a chance and then take our hit and move him on, whether that's as a permanent or as a loan in the summer and in, in the uh, winter window and then we might see the likes of another player come back or someone better brought in yeah and then on the second part of the question we've just covered that about looking forward to the semi-final we certainly are looking forward to the semi-final Gav and I hope you are as well Paul Mackay uh, has got in touch and he has said how much credit do you give to Monty for sticking with his principles uh, over how we play and keeping a 4-4-2 and showing the faith in the youth with the two young lads on the bench. Something, again, that we touched on earlier on. Um, I think giving given the young players the time on the bench just buys you as a manager a little bit more time, especially early doors. Mm-hmm. So like, if this wasn't going the way that Monty was hoping that it was going to go, the fact that he's given younger players a chance and an opportunity on the bench or in the exactly. start of living, that buys them a little bit more time as well. Exactly. And I think it's it's shown tremendous belief in the players to and trust in the players. I mean, I've I've said that word quite a lot of times throughout this episode, but the trust I think that he has shown and given to these players is going to pay off. Um I think with Lee Johnson, he was probably culprit of making too many big changes too often. So, you know, if, if something didn't work one week, then he would automatically change it then for the next week. And, you know, sometimes that works for some managers, but some managers don't like to do that. And Monty is clearly someone who wants to stick to the way that he feels the game should be played. I think I'll, similarly to Sean Maloney, hopefully he gets better results <laughs> than Sean Maloney did. But, um, yeah, I think uh, 
if you show trust in the players, the players will show trust in you, and then it's only going to lead to good things, I think, anyway. Um, next up, Jack Gillis from Strong Opinion, and he says, how good was Mr Jimmy Jago at the weekend? Very, very good. It's good to see that whatever changes Monty has made to his personal duties on the pitch, it's, it's working, and it's it's really... He's, yeah, he's, he's took his game to another level without really doing anything extra within his current role. Um, he's not doing anything outstanding. He's just doing the basics and he's doing them very, very well. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I mean, that's what we've been talking about all season, really, isn't it? I mean, I think him playing in the midfield too really kind of showcases what he's good at. And I think actually it showcased a little bit more from him than what we saw last season. Obviously, last season he was playing in that more six defensive role, but now he's playing a little bit more advanced because he has to. I think he's kind of shown that he does have a little bit more ability than a lot of people thought. And, you know, maybe maybe some people are, are starting to take a little bit of a U-turn on how they think about him because he was a pretty devi- divisive figure, you know, across a, like a large section of the support for last season. So, it's good to see that folk are getting behind them now. Um, you know, we've kind of said for a while that you know he's he's, he's not here to play the, the Javi or Iniesta ball. He's he, he's here to to play that Matty Jack Marvin Bartley role, and I think he's doing that tremendously well at the moment. And you know, I'm really really chuffed for him. Harvey Scott is asking Chinese or Indian in brackets the food. Thanks for the. The brackets there, I really was confused right enough by it. Um, <laughs> I think he's trying to cover his own back, to be honest. Yeah, true. I think, listen, I, I, I do I do like both. Um, I'm not going to sit on the fence here, don't worry. Um, my preferred choice out of the two would not be an Indian, though, unfortunately. They do have some delicious meals, of course. But no, my go-to, my go-to scan is the Chinese. But I think, for me, it depends on... From a Chinese perspective, from a Chinese food perspective, you need it to be the right restaurant. It needs to be the right takeaway mm. for you. And once you find that right takeaway, you ain't going anywhere else. Whereas if I was to come into yours, I'd probably feel more inclined to get an Indian or something because I feel like that's going to be of a similar standard yeah. regardless of where you go. There's not many great Indians around near me, actually. I've had, I don't get Indian takeaway very often because if I've got the choice between a Chinese and an Indian, and I'm getting a takeaway, I'll usually get a Chinese. But going out for a meal, then I don't think I would go, unless it was like a Chinese buffet, I would much rather get like a sit-down Indian rather than a sit-down Chinese. Um, But if I'm ordering a takeaway, then I get a Chinese. I use New Fortune Cookie at Newington. I think it's at Newington. And they're really good. There's quite a few good Chinese takeaways out next to me in the sticks so that's one yeah, thing that, that's the thing I use um, Focus and Musselboro Musselboro's got quite a few decent aye, I mean that's, that's the thing here when you but, love it in the sticks the takeaways are actually usually pretty half decent and I think the Focus and, and Musselboro is by far the best Chinese restaurant that I've ever ordered food from but like if I was to go elsewhere I would then be reluctant to then get my same order or something similar because the, my expectation would then be too high. Um, used to be lemon chicken, then it used to be salt and chili chicken. Now it's shredded chicken, um, rice and salt and chili chips. 
with obviously sauce over it. Yeah, curry sauce. Chloe gets the curry sauce, I get the sweet and sour sauce. I do see my my orders change as well. I really like lemon chicken as well, but I don't think I would order it for the Chinese. Like I don't I wouldn't order it. But like if someone else has ordered it, then I'll have a wee bit. But my order has changed recently. So I am now a crispy shredded beef man in chili and honey sauce. And then I'll just get fried rice, probably salt and chili chips. And I like I like a wee vegetable string roll myself as well. Doesn't look like I enjoy vegetables, but it's a deep fried bit that I, that I enjoy of the vegetable spring roll, Sean, as uh, as you can probably imagine. But Indian, what's your go-to Indian order? Um, I don't actually have a go-to Indian order because whenever we've ordered one or we've went out, it's more of a case of getting loads of different dishes and then sharing it all between us. Mm. You? I like a I like a lamb rogan Josh. But I do, I and the thing is, I do, I do this, I do the same when I, when we go out to like those types of restaurants, or like when we go out to like a Japanese restaurant, or if we go out to a Korean restaurant, it's get as much scran as you can, and then just share it all. And I feel like I'm maybe better suited. Yeah, no, I, to be fair, I see, I've never been to a Japanese restaurant or a Korean restaurant or anything like that, so I've never tried that sort of food. But it's like Megan, she's not really into that sort of thing, so I didn't really want to go by my by myself. But maybe I can go with you and Chloe next oh, yeah, time. Yeah, right. Okay, well, is that what you're right? You're more than welcome. More than welcome. <laughs> I'll I'll jump on me. I'll for I'll for wheel you. Um, but I like a lamb rogan Josh and like a garlic naan or a kima naan, and just uh, I just like I like all food to be honest with you, mate. Like I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm I'm a big fat fuck. And I enjoy every, I enjoy everything to be honest with you. Um, moving on, we've got the Rebel Highby, and they ask, please discuss. Did you see this? Please discuss Kevin Bushiri coming out swinging for Rocky. Did you see this on Instagram the other day? I called someone out because I can't remember what it was. I, I don't remember the boy's comment, but then he replied. I'm assuming he's uh, Rocky's agent as well having a go being like that wasn't what you were saying when you were in his DMs begging for a match one strip or something like that and mm-hmm. then crying that you weren't getting it or some nonsense like that I, <laughs> I love it I've got so much time for that kind of banter um, and listen I want to see more of that I thought I thought it was hilarious and I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about it I mean wasn't going to probably make it into the, the proper running order but I'm so glad that the Rebel Highbees has submitted that question because I thought it was hilarious when I seen it. You know, it's it's just funny the fact that it's his agent going, "Oh, you're crying in DMs asking for his top." <laughs> oh mate, that guy must have had must have mate had an absolute. Must beam be a wee, it'll be a wee burn or something like that as well. Get Which makes it funnier as well. Like that ah. makes it funnier. Um, next up, James Kinnebara. How good can this team be, and what changes do we make for Ross County? I think it's uh, I don't want to get into the realms of how good can the team be because I th- we can see what the team was like under a, a different regime and how poor it was at times. So I think with the right recruitment, with the right people in charge, as we've seen with Brian McDermott and then um, Monty coming in and the coaching staff, I think over time, if that structure stays in place with the right level of recruitment where we're constantly bringing better players rather than squad players, then... Yeah. yeah, it's only 
only in good ways. And any changes that you'd make for county? That um, you didn't talk about earlier on? I would probably change most of the 11, if I'm honest. I would get Hamlin in, I'd get Stevenson in, I'd want Levitt in. Um, you just kind of I'd want to avoid Le- injuries, really, don't you? That's yeah, really, that's I'd, want, thing. I'd, I'd want Levitt in for Newell, but at the same time, I don't want Jago then getting injured. So exactly. are are we at the point where we could risk Levitt and Campbell in the middle of the park? Probably not. Put, put Rocky in there. Imagine. I put Rocky in the six. That'll do. Or put Kevin Bashiri in the six. <laughs> that might do. Um, next up, Albert Street. Uh, that's this is one half of a double header question. And now I don't know your answer to this, Sean. I've never asked you before. But what do you prefer, crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Or do you like? Do you even like peanut butter? Don't like peanut butter. Really? Don't like peanut butter. No. Do you, not, do you not like peanuts at all? I would. I would probably go smooth. Like, surely the crunchy one can't be that great. No, crunchy. See, I would be a crunchy guy. Like, it depends what you're having it on, though, eh? Like, the smooth is... Smooth is good. Crunchy is, crunchy is good as well. I think I would have crunchy because it just adds a different dimension, eh? Like, see, if the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups had crunchy peanut butter in them instead of smooth, I think they would be a lot better than they are. I mean, they're really good. I really like them, but... They would be a lot better than they are. But that's baffling that you don't like peanut butter, Sean. Do, yeah, do you not like peanuts at all? Like peanut M&Ms or? I've, it's never really been something that I've went out and bought or found myself eating, if I'm honest. Snickers? Ah, I don't like Snickers. Snickers is... Oh, uh, we've had this conversation already, haven't we? Aye, Snickers <laughs> No, but like, I was going to say, oh, you've never been at the pub and then had some nuts, but you don't drink, Sean, so... I mean, Obviously. that doesn't stop me going into a pub, Liam. No, I know, but you wouldn't be like, oh, Kim, what I really want is a fucking packet of nuts. Because who wants a packet of nuts when they're sober? Yeah, no, I get your point, though. I get your point. You know what I mean? So I'm sorry for offending you, but at the same time, I'm I'm not really no, that sorry. I'm not offended, don't you worry. That'll be good, because I wasn't really that sorry in the first place. I didn't think so. Uh, the second half of Albert Street's question is how night and day was that compared to playing the Sticky Buns? Yeah, I think it was good to it was good to see and I think I touched on it with the tweet that I put out on Twitter just, you know, the, the fact that we had good individual performances which made up a very good team performance where it was night and day from last week and I think that just goes to show when you do your individual duties correctly and do them well what level of performance the whole overall team can can put in. Absolutely. Last couple of questions from Twitter before we move over to the Instagram questions. Kev Wilson has just sent one in um, as we are recording this, and he says, do we make any changes for tomorrow night with an eye on Saturday's game, or is continuity in the starting 11 the thing for us? What do you think will be running through Monty's head? We've already heard what Sean Corrigan, Hibbs manager, would do. What will Nick Montgomery, Hibbs manager, do? I think he'll probably end up staying with most of the same starting eleven, which would concern me, um, considering the amount of games in short period of time that like Boyle, Newell, Jago, Miller have all played, especially Miller going into national duty, Boyle going into national duty as well. So I do think most of the team will be the same, but I think maybe Hanlon, Stevenson will come in, maybe Lafondre will start. We have seen a little bit of rotation in those areas, so yeah, that's that's probably where it's going to be most likely, like. 
I mean, you'd maybe in an ideal world want to rest players and make sure that they are at full full fitness for Saturday, but this isn't an ideal world, Sean. But the thing is, on, at the same time, you could play the same starting eleven or your strongest starting eleven. We could blow Ross County away. I'm not saying that we've got that in us, but we could. And then those players then they continue that level of performance into the, into the weekend because they're off the back of a 2 3 4 5 nil win and Boyle scored two, Venti scored two, whereas at the moment, they've no scored. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think this is the decision that Nick Montgomery is going to make. I don't think it's as cut and dry as rest players keep them fit or get them on the park for continuity. I think there's going to be a lot more thinking and a lot more kind of thought process behind it. So we'll probably see a mix of both, to be honest. I don't think we'll see wholesale changes, don't get me wrong. I think like what you said, just a couple of changes here and there. Keep the the most important players, um, make sure that they stay fit. You know, if we're, if we're comfortable after an hour, 65 minutes maybe, then then it's maybe time to think about taking taking the players that you that you don't want injured off. Not saying that also you also have to remember good. though, I don't think the Aberdeen squad is overly strong. Like not just the stand eleven, but the like the overall squad. And they've been playing two games in a week for a good couple yeah. of weeks now. They've got European fixtures to look forward to. They've got big game after big game. They played on Sunday, they're then playing Wednesday and then Saturday, whereas we are Saturday, Tuesday. Do you so, think that that's do you think that um them having the, the conference league is a factor in where they are in the yes. Premier League? Yeah, I do. Think so. Or do you think do. the fact do you think it's like the same as Hearts last season? Because when I look at how Hearts ended up last season Personally, as, as a football fan, I didn't think that Hearts strengthened enough, um, anywhere near enough, to compete on a Thursday and then at the weekend as well. And listen, I know that our football clubs in this country, out with the old firm, probably aren't uh, financially capable of having, you know, two strong starting 11s, because that's what you need, essentially, for competing in both of these competitions. But I just felt like Aberdeen have made the same mistakes Hearts did, even though they saw yep. them do it last season. So, Yeah, I mean, is that, the thing is, that that's exactly it, though. It's a tough thing to do. Realistically, whether it was Europa League or whether it was Conference League... It was always going to be tough for any all, Yeah, it doesn't matter what group you got put in, you were going to be put in a very difficult group. And then, similar to what Hearts didn't do, to what Aberdeen have then done, if they've not added so many bodies to improve the overall squad, whether it's a squad that you're looking at or whether it's a stand eleven, come December or come January or February when they're kicked out of the group stages, mm-hmm. what are you meant to do with all these other players? Because exactly. then all you've got left is the Scottish Cup. That's what I'm saying, like because these teams aren't financially capable. There's no guarantee that like I mean Hearts could have went out last season and, and strengthened their squad and in, in numbers. But there was no guarantee that they would have been back in a European competition this season. So it's kind of you need to strike a balance, really, don't you? Because you can't have all these different players on your books. And I, to be honest, I mean, not particularly for Hearts or really for Aberdeen, but you know, it's it's a probably a bit of a pickle that these 
teams are getting themselves in. And I mean, even to an extent, maybe Celtic and Rangers. Maybe not so much Celtic, because I think Celtic have got the power to then rotate more often um, than any other They did team go through team. a phase, though, having like Barkas and goals and a jetty and stuff like that. This is it. It swings around about me, isn't it? Yeah, where they'd spent loads of money and it hadn't worked out and they needed to try and move them on and couldn't they, so... Yeah, and I think that would be much more damning for a side like Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, um, anyone like that. So it's uh, it's probably it's probably not. Everyone wants to be in European competition. Everyone wants to be in group stages. But at the end of the day, it's it's maybe not the best thing. That's mental for saying that. It's just maybe not the best thing for clearly not for Aberdeen because you look at how they're doing in the league and they're being pumped in Europe every week and also. That's me off on a tangent about that anyway. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull myself back in. Pull myself back in. Did we answer Kevin's question? Yes, we did. Um and now for the most important part of the pod. In your eyes anyway, Sean, we've got Liam Riley's overrated, underrated. Starting off with Liam Miller. And for underrated. me, I'm gonna say underrated. I thought Liam Miller Liam Miller's loved by Hibs fans. And quite rightly so. Uh, I'm not just going to say underrated because you know he died, but I think he was he was superb. Yeah, and I, I think don't we think were people realise how good he actually was. And also, as a caveat to that, Craig would be happy that I've shoehorned that phrase. And I also thought Kevin McBride was brilliant when he played alongside him. Completely agree. I completely agree. I think Liam Miller. I mean, the thing is, I don't think people don't don't not rate him. I just don't think he's spoken about in the same bracket of like Scott Allen and uh, or Bob even McGill. even like Boozy or somebody like that. Do you know what I mean? I think Liam Miller technically is a, was a tremendous tremendous player. God rest his soul. Um, and he was just very very unfortunate to find himself in what was deemed as a very poor Hibs yeah. at that time. And we were probably lucky to lucky to have him. We were we very lucky to have him. I mean, the calibre of player that he was when he came to Hibs, like he was, he wasn't finished or anything like no, that. No, so, yeah, the fact that we, the fact that we got him in was, um, it was pretty impressive, and you know, he, he really didn't disappoint. So, underrated for me. Um, I think we'll we'll always look back on that penalty against Hearts with with much fondness. I remember him walking up to take that. I think. Derek Ryden was on the pitch as well. And I remember my thought process was, why is Liam Miller taking it? Why isn't Derek Ryden taking it? But I didn't care after it went in. So that's the main thing. Next up, overrated, underrated. And I'm going to go underrated. Paul Heckenbottom. I completely and utterly agree with you. I'm oh, still... I still like you guys. Still to this day, a little bit less now because Monty and I rate Monty, blah, 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 whatever, right? For those that don't really realise that I'm rimming Monty every week here, um, <laughs> I'm still to this day raging that we got got rid of Monty. Listen, his recruitment, like all our recruitment since since then, probably since before Lenny, or since Lenny himself, it was poor. I feel like he was let down by the board. I feel like he was let down by the recruitment. I don't think it was helped by some of the players that he brought in because I feel like he maybe underestimated the league a little bit. Um, but listen, he brought Joe Newell in, and look at Joe Newell. 
I think he just needed a little bit more time and I oh, think he maybe well. just needed to transition out of some of the players that were in the squad and bring in a little bit better quality and trust his process. I think it says what speaks volumes for me is he did not play Marvin Bartley for a single minute while Marvin Bartley was still at Hibs and Marvin Bartley could have still done a job for Hibs at that point. Marvin Bartley maintains to this day that Paul Heckenbottom is the best manager and best coach that he's had. Madness, eh? And he didn't play him for a single minute, but he learned the most from him. And I don't know if that's maybe because of where Marv was in his career at that point and the journey that he'd, he'd had. But if you think about the managers and coaches that Mar- Marvin Bartley's had down south at Burnley and stuff like that, and then coming up and the success he had under Stubbs, to then say that somebody that never played him for a single minute is the best or one of the best or the best coaches that he's had says it all. I just think it's unfortunate that he underestimated either the club or the league and or the players that were in the league. Um, I think so, you yeah, can see it now. I mean, like last season, he he romped, he romped the champ. They won the championship, didn't they? Yeah, sure they did. Did they? Aye. So um, no, he, no, no, no. They never. Did Burnley they not? won the championship. Oh, Burnley, 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 Burnley romped, Burnley romped it, came second, and I'm then pretty sure went up. They were. There were eeksy peeksy at the top, like it wasn't. There wasn't an awful lot between. Them, a I very think. very good job last season, regardless. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he got them promoted at, um, at first first time you asking was it first time you asking for Sheffield United? Aye, it was because they got relegated when he was in interim charge, didn't they? and he took the job permanently and got them promoted. So, I mean, I always I always kind of liked the way that he spoke. Yeah, I think maybe he did underestimate the club in the in the league a little bit, but um no, I think he was he was a half decent manager. It got a little bit sour towards the end, as it usually does with managers, but um no, I think you can see now what he's doing. He's clearly not uh you know a dud. He's not a, like a Bobby Williamson or someone who's gonna going to do fuck all. He's he's managing in in the Premier League and he's he's doing all right as well to be honest. He's yeah. doing he's doing not half bad. Next up is Zamama overrated underrated. And I think I've been thinking about this one all day and I keep going between overrated and underrated. I think I'm going to have to say underrated. Yeah, for me, he's, he's uh, again, not because he's not rated, because he clearly is. File, file under Liam Miller. But, um, yeah, he's definitely underrated. And I think for me, when you talk about creative number 10s, I know he, he was number four and number seven and whatever, but um, like that kind of player, like small, agile, magician, could do anything with the ball at his feet, he ticked all those boxes and those types of players don't come around that often. Um, exactly, yeah. You've got, obviously, him. You've got like the likes of Scott Allen that we had. We only had Liam Henderson for a short period of time, so you can't really class him in that kind of bracket. But then, other than Zamama and Scott Allen, you're going back to Russell Latape for me in regards to that type of mouldy player. Um, listen, I'm not saying he's on he's on Russell Latape's level, but he's a very, very talented player. And this is, this growing is up, I'll, I loved him to bits. Is that Zamama? You know, I don't really remember an awful lot of Russell Latape playing for Habs, and so Zamama was the first time that I'd seen someone like that play for Habs. You know, someone who was just you know really good in the middle of the park, like 
had all the tricks, you know, when you're a wee guy, that's that's what you're bothered about. You're you're bothered about Maradona spins and keepy uppies and all that shit. You know what I mean? So that was he was the first player that sort of had that. And there's not really been an awful lot an awful lot of players since then that have had that same level of talent. Um he's looked back on very, very fondly. I think he he was more than the tricks, he was more than you know the close dribble, and I think he was also a very intelligent player. Some good We're goals looking. against Hearts in that as well, and I'm yeah. sure he scored one very early on, either against Hearts or one of the old firm or whatever it is that wrote. I remember that. It's like, like we scored within 30 seconds or something. That I was, remember uh, who it was against, but we scored. He scored one against Hearts, and he, he like he, he chopped it in the box and took out two of their defenders at once and rolled it past. I think that was pretty early on in the game, and then he set up Stokes's goal against Rangers that was after like 12 seconds or something because uh, I just remember I mean I was there but watching it back on um, like YouTube and that like on the Sky Sports and it's Ian Crocker who's doing the commentary and he goes Zamama is in a rush that's yeah. that's the thing that I remember from that and then he slips the through Stokes it's a great goal and we get beat 4-1 um, <laughs> it was a good 12 seconds I think it was it was good that he was also in and around good quality players like unfortunately in Liam Miller's case Hibs were going through a bit of a transition or we were at the beginning of that transition period prior to 2015-16 mm-hmm. whereas Zamama had like Scott Brown, he had Stephen Fletcher he had Benji, yeah. like he had David Murphy he had all these it was a really, really players likeable Hibs them. team as well yeah. Yeah. it yeah. really was I think if you're a you know, if you're not a Hibs fan you're looking at that Hibs team you're probably looking at, at that and you know, going up oh, I quite like them, or I've got a wee soft spot for them. I mean, because we were really good and we had a lot of technically very good players. I think he was enhanced by having John Collins and and probably in charge, and not a lot of players were probably enhanced by having him as a coach. But um, him and Benji, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we'll move on from Zamala, and next up is the first for me, the first overrated of the list, and it's not by an awful lot. And I'll probably get slaughtered, but it's Ivan Sproul. And I think he's just a shade, shade overrated. Literally, just a shade. I'm, so like, um, rated is here, and I think Ivan Sproul is here. If I had to make a choice, I think I would need to go overrated because I don't think you can, I don't think he's underrated. Um. I'm going to agree with you on that one, but I think that's more maybe because you can see the type of player that Martin Boyle's developed himself into, whereas when they both came to the club, they were all running and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Ivan Sproul kind of stayed like that, but it's nowadays with the right level of coaching and the right level of man management, it just goes to show what you can do when you apply yourself. Ivan Sproul is phenomenal for Hibs, but I think it's probably... When you look back on it now, like, what did we pay for him for, like, five grand or something <laughs> like that for him? I don't know. For some dodgy... I mean, there probably is a... There probably is a... A case, a case for saying underrated, but I just don't think... Yeah. Honestly, I can say that he was underrated because I think that he was perfectly rated. He was probably underappreciated. If I had to choose one, I would say slightly Yeah, he was probably underappreciated at Hibs at the time when he first arrived, but then once everyone knew... What he's by got Gary and O'Connor. his capabilities and stuff. Well, definitely by Gary O'Connor. Definitely by Riordan, I know, when Riordan got subbed. 
Um, but yeah, slightly, slightly, slightly overrated. But yeah, he's one of those icons of the club. So yeah, he was my favourite player for a long time growing up. So yeah, it feels it feels dirty to be saying overrated, but it's literally it's genuinely because I don't think I could say underrated for him. And I'm going to move on because I'm digging myself a hole and I don't want to be in a hole. Next up is Thierry Gattuso. And I feel like Thierry Gattuso is the opposite end of the spectrum. I don't think you can overrate him because I don't think he was brilliant. He was definitely ready. wasn't he? He definitely wasn't shy. He was just kind of Thierry Gattuso, wasn't just, he? You'd file him, file him under one of those bang average, poorly positioned defenders that we had during that period of five to ten years where no one lit it up and probably caused more mistakes than than created chances so um yeah probably maybe go slap bang in the middle on that one because yeah, he never really so. maybe so if great I name. Is, oh, great name. Overrated, I think Tegu Tuzi maybe here underrated uh he's very, uh, both are very close to the to the middle, but if you had to choose one, I think underrated. And he's scored against Celtic, so and it was a good goal. It was a very good goal. It was he's a great first name as well, so exactly. And a great second name, let's not lie. Yeah, that's true. And he had dreadlocks as well, if I remember rightly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's another tick for me. I like a player with dreadlocks. Um, and finally, an overrated underrated for this week, uh, Liam has said when Hibbs used to run out to Song 2 by Blur. I'm going to say overrated because I much preferred Teenage Kicks by the Undertones. I'm going to say underrated because I don't think it's associated with Hibs that often and I think it's a tremendous song. It is a good song. don't think it's anywhere near Blur's best song like, but... No, but in regards to songs that Hibs have came out to, I don't think you would file that under the bracket of Hibs used to run out to that. Do you know what I mean? Because you normally go to like Teenage Kicks and Alive and yeah. Kicking and something like that, so... Oh, live and kicking as well. Forgot about that one. See, when I was when I was younger, right? <laughs> when I was younger, I used to think that the manager chose the song. I think you've the, said this before. I don't know the, if it was the, to me in person or if on this, but I swear you've said this before. That the players run out to, and I think it's because I remember the players when when we had Tony Mowbray ran out to teenage kicks, and then when he left, it changed to live and kicking. And I think that's, I just convinced myself that every time we change manager that we're going to get a new song for running out. So, I mean, if someone at Hibs can confirm slash deny that uh, <laughs> that might Barry, be get, the Barry, case. get in touch and let us know. That <laughs> it, might case, it might not be the case. We don't history. know. Um, so we'll really, really quickly run through the Instagram questions and we've got a very, very quick fantasy football update and then I'm going to get my dinner. So, Patrick Riley has been in touch and he asks, what do you think is missing for Hibs? Because we seem to be defending better now, but seem to be scoring less. For me, it's just trying to find that right balance between picking our times when we're attacking and defending properly. Um, with the shape that we've got, Jago and Newell are working their absolute backsides off and the second striker, whether that be Dodge, whether it be Fenty, whether it be LaFondre, doing a lot of doggy work as well. So, mm-hmm. um, listen, it's just trying to find that balance. We've scored a lot of goals this season. It's just unfortunate in the last couple of games we've, we've not scored any and we've not really looked like scoring any. 
But again, look at the opposition we were up against, and I don't think with the amount of firepower we've got on the pitch, front four, front five at times, I don't think we'll, we'll struggle if our phases of play in the attacking sense work out. Absolutely. Uh, David Jameson asks, defensively the back four were superb, but do you think that we're asking too much of Dylan Venti to drop as deep as he is? I thought I seen this coming and I thought of it and I think it's a great question. It is a great question. I think it's more to do with the fact that Boyle was the other one that was up there more than anything else. Mm. Listen, every time Venti's played up top, he's been on the last man, but he's also dropped in deep as well because he can do it. I think it was just more prominent at the weekend because Boyle, with the outlet of the pace, being on the last man, that was just the role that he was asked to do. I just hope it doesn't get to the stage where we're asking him to do that a lot more because his shot conversion rate is a joke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know he's I know he's not scored in a couple now, but and had a few shots, so it's obviously brought it down. But overall, he's phenomenal in the box, and we should try and feed him in the box as much as we can. Absolutely, this is the this is the thing. Eh? He's a fox in the box, and give him a half yard. He's probably going to take it in the box. I mean, we've seen it what five times so far this season. So hopefully, he gets uh, he gets his his shooting boots back out for tomorrow night and. And we see another couple of goals from Big Dylan Venti. Um, Rudy Mulvey is asking, wasn't watching it, can you please give me your player ratings? And just to save time, Sean, just give me your top three players, that your, your top three performers. Well, I think, I think across the board, apart from Jair, who I'd give a six, I think all of them would be like a seven or an eight. Um, Marshall made some great saves, so he'd definitely be an eight. Miller would be a nine for me. Jago would probably be a nine as well. Obi, I would maybe be pushing towards an eight. So yeah, all in all, very strong team performance. And that actually answers our last question as well from Archie, who asks opinion on Jair's performance, and you've just said a six. So a six out of ten for Jair's performance. Hopefully, um, hopefully we see him tomorrow night. I, th- I would quite like to to see him tomorrow night and you know give him some more minutes. Uh, see what he can do and uh, yeah hopefully it'd be nice if he scored eh yeah be class yeah. if he scored I just love a player with dreadlocks me that's the thing um, okay quickly 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 before we wrap up fantasy football okay so Hibs Rambo League game week 10 there's been no change Sean at the top of the table it remains McGinn and Tonic from Dan Taylor who has uh, amassed a total of 598 points uh, after 10 game weeks. Sunny 11 remains in second, 592 points. What's the story? Ross McCrory is in third with 580 points. Icarumba Umba Chumba FC uh, is in fourth with 575 points and Rounding out the top five for the first time this season um, is Fife Jets by Billy Sterling, who has got 563 points, one point ahead of sixth. So remember, if you finish in the top five of our league this season, we are giving away some Leaf 7 prizes. We've got some more interesting Leaf 7 news to bring you very, very soon. So keep your eyes peeled on the socials for that. But until then, we will love you and leave you. Sean, thank you very much for joining me for the last hour and a half. And I really hope you enjoy the game tomorrow. Thank you very much, mate. Take care. See you later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Let's get ready to rumble.